Hi, this is David Mattin, and you're listening to the audio version of New World Same Humans number 43, published on the 15th of November 2020. You can find the links included in this instalment and a link to the text version on the New World Same Humans article page where this podcast is embedded. So, let's go. Back in New World Same Humans number 36, I wrote about the coming challenge posed to the global north by climate migration. I published that essay with some trepidation because it's so dark, but it turned out to be one of the most read and shared instalments ever. This week's essay is a companion piece. It extends an idea articulated in the original on how loyalty to nation might be used to motivate action against climate change. This week's essay goes further. It floats an idea that feels, to me at least, something verging on heretical. What if a new, enlightened nationalism is the key to unlocking movement on the entire progressive agenda, from regulation of big tech to global inequality to climate? What if nationalism and the progressive cause actually go together? It's so strange, I'm still not sure I believe it. But now... I'm going to lay out the case. A now familiar partition haunts world affairs in 2020. On one side are the globalists, on the other nationalists. This year's US presidential election was seen, both by observers and the participants themselves, through the lens of this divide. In October, President Trump derided his opponent as a servant of the radical globalists. And now Biden's win is widely seen as a victory for globalism and a pushback against the nationalist turn. On the face of it, that makes good sense. President-elect Biden has made clear his intention to reinvigorate international cooperation. He says the US will rejoin both the Paris Agreement on Climate and the World Health Organization. This politics of globalists versus nationalists is relatively new. It surfaced into the popular consciousness in 2016, when Trump won the presidency and the UK voted for Brexit. The fundamental political divide most of us are used to is not globalist versus nationalist, but progressive versus conservative or left versus right. These terms, as with all such descriptors, are themselves not perfect, but we all have a loose understanding of the progressive agenda, a rebalancing of economic inequality, an end to structural racism and other forms of prejudice, and action on climate change are all key parts of the mix. We all know, too, that when it comes to these two frameworks, there is a great deal of alignment Overwhelmingly, self-described progressives see themselves as aligned to the globalist cause, while those who would call themselves nationalists are from the conservative side. You encounter very few, I have encountered none, who call themselves progressive nationalists. The very phrase seems to us a contradiction in terms. But what if the truth is not so simple? What if a changing world demands new thinking when it comes to how globalism and nationalism relate to progressive ideas? What if a new, enlightened nationalism is actually the most powerful tool that progressives have available to them in the coming decade? 
That sounds heretical. Progressives are suspicious of national feeling for obvious and extremely good historical reasons. Meanwhile, today they associate nationalism with the regressive agenda of populists such as Trump and Bolsonaro. That association is all too real. But is it necessary? Is another form of nationalism possible? Can we reconfigure nationalism as a progressive force? That would overturn so much we think we know in 2020 about the great challenges ahead, about how we meet them and what it all means for our shared future. When it comes to the great challenges we face in the 21st century, established thinking is clear. It tells us that the challenges are global and that our response must be global too. It's hard to imagine a crisis that reinforces these ideas more perfectly than the pandemic. Coronavirus is a global challenge, fuelled by a globalised world. Pathogens respect no national borders, and it's clear that energetic international cooperation is needed if we are to suppress the virus, roll out the new vaccine, and crucially, prevent further viral pandemics in future. But the fundamentals of these ideas were in place well before coronavirus. A host of 21st century challenges, from national security to digital disinformation to unregulated big tech, are global in nature. And at the apex of all of them is climate change, an existential risk and the ultimate example of a problem that transcends national boundaries. Progressives of all stripes have drawn a powerful lesson. Humanity is increasingly a single global system which faces a set of shared planetary challenges. Progressive politics, they infer, must be global in outlook. Many feel then that the old-fashioned nation-state is no longer able to accommodate or change 21st century realities – Under this view, nation-states are becoming an encumbrance, one that needs to be jettisoned and replaced by frameworks that are broader, more open, more global. Many progressives feel instinctively that in the decades ahead, their mission necessarily involves transcending the nation-state. Meanwhile, they expect populists to cling to the nation-state precisely because it is outdated and as such the perfect vehicle for their regressive agenda. What underlies this new, globalised reality in which we find ourselves? And more important, what is the truth about how progressives can mount a successful response to the globalised challenges of the 21st century? The answer lies in a phenomenon that is often missing from progressive analyses of the world. Power. In short, as new technologies have made the world smaller and more connected, power has moved away from the nation-state and to supranational organisations. In particular, it has shifted inexorably towards two intangible assets uniquely able to flow through the new pathways created by globalisation. Those assets are data and capital. In a globalised world, it's increasingly those who control data and capital who have the power. What does this mean in practice? No one controls data like big tech. 
and few doubt we live in a world in which Facebook and Google now speak to most national governments on an equal, if not superior, footing. Meanwhile, a host of other big corporations also transcend the control of any national government. Globalised capitalism is even turning individual people into global powers in their own right. At the start of this year, Oxfam reported that the world's richest 26 people control as much of the Earth's wealth as the 3.8 billion poorest. Last year, you had to count the top 43 people before you hit the same milestone. In October, Jeff Bezos saw his wealth increase by 13 billion US dollars in a single day. According to the World Bank, 77 countries have a GDP less than 13 billion US dollars. Even the good billionaires are a reminder of this power shift. In 2018, the Brookings Institute reported that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is the 17th largest funder of the United Nations, ahead of Spain, Russia and Ireland. Supranational concentrations of data and capital. In the 21st century, they are the new empires. Where is all this heading? Foreign policy expert Sean McFate has floated the idea that in the decades ahead, we'll see a new global Middle Ages in which billionaire overlords and multinational corporations run their own private armies, wage wars and compete with enfeebled nations for power and influence. There are many competing visions of a more progressive future, but what they all share is this. They are about a reassertion of people, the human collective, against the rising structural power of data and capital. A progressive future is one in which ordinary people are more able to extricate themselves from the surveillance capitalism practiced by big tech, one in which global corporations cannot extract value from national infrastructures while hiding profits offshore, one in which a handful of stupendously rich men do not wield huge, unaccountable influence over the entire human project. So how do we get there? The typical progressive answer has it that these are global challenges and our response must be to look to global institutions. There's much truth in that. But a good answer must also be grounded in the world as it is and political realities as they are. Many people, if asked, would say they'd welcome the kind of world outlined just now. But since the crisis of 2008, progressives have hardly enjoyed wild success when it comes to persuading people to take action on that vision. To enact their agenda, progressives must mobilise a vast amount of political will. In the global north, that means persuading hundreds of millions of people to vote for progressive policies. What if the best way to achieve that is to frame the challenges we face as, at least in part, a battle for the survival and dignity of the nation-state against the global forces that threaten those things? Seen this way, nation-states become not a force for regressive inwardness and nativism, but instead the best framework we have on which to hang collective action that empowers ordinary people over corporations, data and capital. 
This is about telling people that their country ought to count for more than Facebook, Exxon or Jeff Bezos, that the global world order shouldn't depend on the generosity of two private individuals and that their country, via its institutions, provides the framework via which they can come together and assert themselves against new forms of globalised power with its own agenda. This is a form of nationalism that is about people before corporations and the planet before profit, one that asks millions of ordinary people to reclaim their power and take control of their destiny, rather than be shunted towards a strange, neo-medieval future. For billions around the world, the nation-state is the primary political collective, one that commands affection, loyalty and respect. If progressives ally themselves to those feelings, then they anchor their project in something that makes sense to most people. But if they reject entirely the realities of national feeling and respect, their project is, for most people, untethered and hard to grasp. The primacy of nation-states is, in 2020, under threat. That primacy is not old. It dates back only to the end of the First World War, when US President Woodrow Wilson and others imagined a new world of national self-determination and established the League of Nations to preside over that order. What Wilson imagined, though, was far from the nation-versus-nation free-for-all encouraged by the populace of 2020. Rather, Wilson's vision was for a world of tight international cooperation made possible by nation-states, an orderly democracy of nations that verged on a form of global governance. Today, even more than in Wilson's time, the challenges we face demand global cooperation. We should be absolutely clear, no nation alone can take on big tech, challenge over mighty corporations or tackle climate change. I only mean to suggest then that we return to something akin to Wilson's original vision. That is, we understand that the path to a better international cooperation lies through the nation-state and a reassertion of the primacy of nations. This means a change in mindset for progressives. They must acknowledge that the nation-state is not their enemy, nor always an outdated impediment to progress. Rather, globalised data and capital are the primary structural forces that progressives must reckon with in the 21st century. Nation-states provide a powerful framework via which they can prosecute that mission. Finally, we are all aware of the dark mutations to which national feeling is prone. We should never forget the lessons of the previous century. But if progressives abandon the nation-state, then they leave national feeling to be exploited by unhinged populists who are all too ready to tap into nativism, racism and other forms of prejudice. Instead, progressives should make the case for an enlightened nationalism that wholeheartedly rejects those dark forces, one that empowers ordinary people and promotes rational international cooperation. 
In 2020, with a new president in the White House and a global pandemic still to beat, there is a chance for progressives to embrace a new orientation to the nation-state. They should seize this moment. They have a world to win. The Same Humans Nation Thanks for listening this week. This newsletter will continue to track the evolving relationship between capital, data and the nation-state. In the meantime, though, we're also building our very own collective. The Same Humans Nation is rising. We started as a small tribe back in January. Today, we encompass more than 14,000 smart people, founders, strategists, designers, coders, policymakers, and much more. If you help our community expand, you make it more useful for all of us. And all you have to do is share. So if you found today's instalment valuable, why not take a second to forward the email to one person, a friend, relative or colleague who'd also enjoy it. Or share New World Same Humans across one of your social networks and let others know why you think it's worth their time. All you have to do is navigate back to the article page where this podcast is embedded and hit the share button. I'll be back on Wednesday with New Week Same Humans. Until then, be well.